Now, after singing of his law, let us read his law in Deuteronomy 5. The section we will be focusing on, of course, is Deuteronomy 5, 6, uh, as it is in the bulletin, but we will read the whole of the Ten Commandments here. Deuteronomy 5, starting in verse 6. Uh, this is God's holy word, his holy law. Please hear it, all of you. Starting in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 5. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as Yahweh your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh, your God, commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as Yahweh, your God, commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that Yahweh, your God, is giving you. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbors. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. We the people are the most famous words that we know from the United States Constitution and are probably some of the only words known by many of the citizens of the United States, uh, unfortunately, at least. To me, what is most interesting, however, about the most popular words of the Constitution is that we, the people, are actually not really properly part of the Constitution. They're part of the preamble, or the introduction to the Constitution. The paragraph which begins with, we, the people, explains the Constitution. It isn't the Constitution itself. So why is this section the most famous of this constitution, this document? And why was it included by the founding fathers? Because without this part, without this preamble to the constitution, the constitution could not be understood, not on its own terms. This paragraph lays out the purpose and the history of the constitution, especially for the purpose of, quote, securing the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity. Well, nearly 3,000 years before the U.S. Constitution was penned by Jacob Chalice, another constitution of, of sorts was written by the very finger of God himself, that is, the Ten Commandments. 
And what we have here before us today in Deuteronomy 5.6 is the short preamble to this document, which constituted the nation of Israel as a nation of priests before God. This preamble is also about liberty, in fact, and it's also about the history of the accomplishment of that liberty. And what follows that preamble, and what's after this preamble, are ten words, ten commandments of far more grace, beauty, and simplicity than the seven articles of the United States Constitution. Yet, like the U.S. Constitution, this preamble is absolutely foundational to understanding the laws of liberty that follow, and foundational to our understanding of Scripture and the Christian life as a whole, therefore. That is because the law is foundational to all of Scripture. It is the norm of all of life. And not only the norm of life, but salvation life. In the same way that if you lose grace, you lose the gospel. If you lose the law, you lose the gospel. The gospel must have both law and grace in all of their integrity, or else it is not the gospel at all. This preamble tells us what the law is, what God intended for it, and what is its purpose in the life of the people of Israel and its enduring significance. Therefore, in the life of the Christian believer, who is united to true Israel, Jesus Christ, just as important, it tells us why we should care. What makes me obliged to follow this norm? It's for these weighty reasons and many others that I've prayerfully decided to do a sermon series on the Ten Commandments in the AM services. Practically, I've heard some confusion as well as I've gotten from parachuting into 1 Samuel each AM service after a few weeks of going through 1 Samuel and the PM services. So as will become our custom for a little while, each first Lord's Day every month, let's dive into the perfect law of liberty. So God says in this preamble in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 5, I am Yahweh, or uh, capital Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Let's go in the order of the passage as well. We'll deal first with God as Yahweh, Lord in the ESV. Then we will deal with God as our covenant God, Elohim in Hebrew. And then we will deal with God as our Redeemer. So first, God is Yahweh, and we are his creatures. Therefore, we are obligated to keep all of his law. He's Yahweh. We are his creatures. We are obligated to keep his law. But for some of you, when I say the word obligated, you cringe in your seat. Obligation is considered a nasty word today, especially in our Western context. To be obligated or be obliged is to be under compulsion, According to the views of today, to be under compulsion is to be just as good as a slave. If this is a law of liberty, then why are we starting with God reminding Israel of him being the creator God and their obligation in order, uh, because rather of his covenant status to set down those laws and our obligation to them? These are good questions to ask, although these questions never seemed to be asked about the U.S. Constitution for whatever reason. The quickest answer to this question, however, about the law of God and our obligation to it 
the question of obligation itself, is to give answer by way of an image. Let's say you are walking down an empty road one day, and to your right is a frozen stream. If just 10 yards away in that frozen stream, a young boy falls underneath the ice, and he flounders in that ice, what would be the right response? Well, it would be to continue walking, because saving a boy in the water isn't your job. You're not obligated to help him. You're under no compulsion or obliged to save him. You have places to go and people to see. But if this sounds wrong to you, then congratulations, you still have a functioning human heart. Obligation of this type may be difficult, but we scarcely even think of this type of obligation as obligation. We save the person because it's the good thing to do, although we are obliged to do it. Obligation itself is not wrong, nor do we hate it. Obligation that we truly think is good is not difficult to do at all for us. You're obliged to eat as well. And yet, some of us eat far more than we should. Obligation itself is not the problem even for people who hate the word obligation. The problem is with being obligated to keep all God's law. God's law is because we are obligated to God himself and we are rebels. So we don't like to be obliged to him to our king. Yet the law is good, and all good things are for the happiness of those who follow them. That is, the Ten Commandments life is the good life, the happy life, the blessed life. The man who truly lives the Ten Commandments is to be congratulated. But it comes with this caveat, says verse 6 in this preamble, you must confess that you are merely a creature of God Almighty. God is not creating a constitution for a democratic republic. He does not say, we the people. He starts by saying authoritatively, I, Yahweh. That is to say, I am who I am, by the way, when speaking of Yahweh, the word Yahweh. He starts by saying authoritatively, I am Yahweh, who is. That is to say, as he said in Exodus 3.15, I am who I am. God's name, Yahweh, shows that he is the sovereign, self-existent one. He is not dependent on anyone at any place or any time. He is completely of himself and in need of nothing from us creatures. For God to remind Israel of his independence is to remind his creatures, you and I, of our dependence upon him. We are utterly dependent upon this God, Yahweh, who is who he is and cannot be defined by anything outside of himself. God is self-defining, the end of all predication, the alpha and omega, the beginning of all things. He is not only creator, but also the sustainer of all things, all of which is lived in in this world is because of his sustaining. All that lives in this world is meant for our good as well, even if we corrupted it. Thank God that we are obliged to keep what is good, that we have what is good, even this world. And he has given us what is good, his law, that God has revealed what is good and perfect in his law to his creatures is something to be rejoiced at. This is the happy life. 
that the good, happy, and blessed life is so plainly set before us, not like the U.S. Law Code, which is 54 volumes long. It is merely in ten commandments, short and can be read in mere minutes. This is a blessing that we have. And yet, brothers and sisters, we must confess that he is our creator, sovereign, that no creature may question the righteousness of any act of God is what we mean by this. He is of himself. That is to say, God is not responsible to anything but himself. He answers to no one but himself, and he, as the lawgiver, must be obeyed as he is the creator. As much as you see the Lord as good, you will see as well that his law is good. As much as you confess with a whole heart that we are obliged because he is a creator God to him, you will enjoy this law. You will see the Lord is good. The law perfectly represents his holiness. He is our sovereign, the creator, and we his creatures. His law for us is good and necessary. But Yahweh does not merely speak here to creatures in general. God does not delight in a creaturely obedience of merely being constrained to be obedient. He desires more than a servile obedience. Yahweh, the God of all, does not relate to the nation of Israel merely as the independent sovereign creator God, although he does in this way. He also relates to them as their God. Israel is special. He relates to them only as he relates to a very few, that is, the nation of Israel. To them, God says, I am Yahweh, your God, your God. We cannot merely say that Israel is obliged to keep all this good law of liberty by the fact of their creatureliness, therefore. They are, but they are also thankfully obligated to keep all this good law of liberty by the fact that Yahweh, second, is our God, our covenant God, and we are his set-apart holy ones. Therefore, we are obligated to keep his law and especially called to keep this law. As his covenant people, we are obligated and as his covenant people called to keep his law. God is our God because, not because of us, brothers and sisters, because of him. Because he loved us before the foundation of the world and covenanted with us. Yahweh is the God of his covenant people because he covenanted with them even after their fall into sin. The creator God, this infinite God, Yahweh of whom we are speaking, deserves our love because he has condescended for our good. But those who despise his commandments after that love are merely worthy of his infinite wrath. A sin against the eternal God indeed requires an eternal reward. Yet although he has every right to condemn all of us, brothers and sisters, by this very law of liberty, after the fall, he covenanted to save some, so that we might say he is our God. In this time, it was especially the nation of Israel who could call upon him in this way, although he did covenant with others who had faith, especially as we've seen recently, for example, Ruth the Moabitess. But in the time of Moses, the people of God, the people who had the promises of salvation extended to them in a special way if they had faith, were especially the people God called Israel. 
These were the people God gave the high title, his people. And therefore God condescended and called himself in relation to Israel, your God. Israel possessed God in a special way. God, in his benevolence, has set apart a people for his own possession. Israel here, and then us as his people as well, as we will see. And they are required to be holy. But why? They shall be holy, for I am holy, says God. To all Israel, this covenant promise of salvation from sin has been given through faith in the coming Messiah, and as they are God's people, they must follow God's laws. Anyone who hopes to be in the presence of God must also be holy. They shall be holy, for I am holy, says God. Mark well, Christian, what this means for you. Not only does this mean that we are God's set-apart people, but that if we are to speak of God as our God, then we are obliged to follow the law as we are bid here in the Ten Commandments. Remember that this is the covenant charter, the constitution of the godly. Just as much as we are called the United, call the United States our country and therefore must call the constitution our constitution, so much the more if we call God our God, let us call his constitution ours. We must therefore call his constitution our commandments. These commandments are not obscure. They are not meant for a faraway people. If anyone calls God their God, then the commandments are relevant to them. And these commandments are yours to follow completely, entirely, and wholeheartedly. But you will say to me, rightly, we are not able to keep this law. Neither was Israel able to keep this law entirely. You're absolutely right. You cannot keep the whole law so as to be justified by it. The law is not a way of salvation for us, but it is our way in the people of God to be near God. We cannot be justified by the law. Why? Because we have broken all of it, not just one or two. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Do you see how high the standard is for those who are in the covenant of God? It is a high standard. It's all or nothing. In Adam, we are guilty of all and condemned by this law of liberty. But this is not how Israel is regarded by God here. To his elect, God gives his law to elect like us, those who truly believe in Christ. I hope that is all of us here. But we are believing in Christ and we look to this law not as a covenant of works upon us, but as a covenant of grace. God calls Israel his people because he has covenanted with them of old. He promised he would bring a redeemer in Genesis 3.15. How can we be sure that this is a law of grace, a covenant, part of a covenant of grace by this simple fact, brothers and sisters, that this law is given after God's gracious salvation unto Israel. God does not expect perfection from these Israelites in order to give them salvation. These Ten Commandments do not produce salvation, and they cannot and were not made to for Israel 
He expects them to keep the law, not that they can avoid condemnation, but because they have already avoided it. That is, they keep the law now out of gratitude to what God has done, not to ingratiate God to them, not to make God beholden to them. God is our covenant God, and so we are especially called to keep our Ten Commandments, but we are only called to keep them because of our covenant with Yahweh that was kept for us by one, by one Jesus Christ. As we go third, our God, Yahweh, is our Redeemer, as we see in this verse. Therefore, we are bound to keep his law, able to imperfectly to keep his law. And what's more, we love to keep his law. This is what I mean. Redemption is before the keeping of the law. Before Israel had its constitution, before it had the charter of how it was to live before God, what did God do? God saved his people. He was their redeemer. He brought his people out of the bondage of Egypt and brought them to liberty in his own land, flowing with good things. Yahweh was creator God and is, and Israel's God. But what's more, Israel's redeemer, as he is to us. Like Israel, we were in bondage, just as they bondage to sin. Like Israel, it was not our works which brought us out of that bondage into communion with God. Our works only condemned us further, if looked at lawfully. But the works of our Redeemer, Christ Jesus, he is the only Redeemer of God's elect. That is to say, and here's the sum of my point and the point of the prologue, redemption is not the result of obedience. Redemption is the rationale for obedience for those in Christ. Redemption is not the result of obedience. Redemption is the rationale for obedience. Obedience flows from redemption. Therefore, we are called to obey the Ten Commandments because God, through Christ, is our Redeemer. First, yes, you are a creature, as is said here by the word Yahweh, and God is the sovereign creator. Therefore, you are bound to keep all his commandments by virtue of being a creature. Second, yes, God has graciously called you upon, upon you to repent and believe for salvation out of your rightful estate of sin and misery. Therefore, you are especially called and bound to keep all of his commandments as those who are called out. But far more than this, third, yes, God has saved us, even Israel in Deuteronomy 5, through a Redeemer, Christ Jesus. And therefore, we are grateful and keep his commandments. Do you see how our obligation flows not from what's inside of us, but from the very loveliness of God himself and his lovely actions? God is our Redeemer and has not only published salvation covenantally, but accomplished that salvation in Christ before we ever did any work ourselves. Therefore, he is worthy of our grateful obedience to these ten commandments, to our last breath. God's essence, God's benevolence, and God's accomplished redemption, all of these are rationales for obedience, brothers and sisters, never the result of obedience. And may I add, hopefully shortly here, God has no need for a list of rationales like this. 
by the mere fact that he is the sovereign God, almighty, independent. He has no need to condescend to give us reasons to follow after this great law. What more argument is needed to follow after righteousness himself or justice himself besides knowing he is righteousness and that he is justice? He ought to be obeyed by the very fact that he is the transcendent creator God. But God is so loving and tender like a father towards us that he condescends to give us reasons to our rational minds that we might follow him even more. God has loved us to such an extent as to save us, even to the point of shedding blood, even to the point of Jesus, the God-man, shedding his own blood and dying for us. And why did he do this? Was it to bring us to heaven? No. It was not merely to bring us to heaven, brothers and sisters. If he saved us only for something after our death, why did he shed his blood to save us? It's to save us from our own sin, even in this lifetime. To save us from our sins. He saved you unto the law. The law of liberty. To live the law of liberty, not only in heaven, where we certainly shall do it. And if we look to heaven and we do not desire that law keeping, we ought to examine our own hearts. But also to live the law of liberty here. Yes, even with some failings and imperfections. You and I, children of God, were delivered in this life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, from a bondage far more hateful and horrible than even 400 years of Egyptian slavery. In fact, Egyptian slavery is just the image of what we have been delivered from in Christ. That is, our bondage to sin through faith in Jesus Christ. We are brought out from that bondage and, just like Israel, called immediately to live the life of liberty in these Ten Commandments. To live the law of liberty. Christ considered his work on the cross, in fact, a new exodus. We find this in Luke 9, 31. An exodus, he says. He is speaking to Moses here, which is wonderful in his transfiguration. And they're speaking of his exodus, which he will accomplish soon in Jerusalem. Meaning... His work on the cross. He called it an exodus, the work that he did on the cross. But an exodus from where to where? An exodus from sin unto holiness in the presence of God. You and I were bought with a price, brothers and sisters. So glorify God in your body, says 1 Corinthians 6.20. We were bought with a price that we might be light to the nations as a reflection of the light that bought us. So let us be light. We were bought to be sacrificial to people who steal from us, who hurt us and slander us, to be a reflection of Christ who was sacrificed and slandered and stolen from. So let us be sacrificial. For the redemption which Christ already completed for his people is the rationale for Christian obedience. Redemption is not the result of our obedience. Our redemption is the work of Christ, that we might have liberty, the privilege of liberty, to obey. You are bought with the precious blood of Christ so that you might go and sin no more, as Christ often says to us. But for those who have not been bought by the blood of Christ, 
for those without faith in Christ, then this law is upon you as if you were a non-Israelite at this time. That is, the law will crush you. And at this time, Israel was to kill all non-Israelites in the promised land. You have broken God's law. All of us have. We have broken God's perfect law and God's eternal punishment for breaking his law lays upon you as a covenant of works. Without God's redemption in Christ, the law condemns us at every point. The law remains over all men and women, and it curses you for this. You are obligated still as a creature, as the Yahweh of all the earth and all of creation is over us. You are obligated as a creature to obey this law entirely. And you cannot. And within the law, there is no redemption. Either you keep the law or you are condemned by it. But for those in Christ, it is the law of liberty. It is the law of liberty. Why? For redemption in this preamble is the basis for our whole understanding of the law and the basis for any of our law-keeping. Christ has kept the law holy, but we follow this law in love, not for salvation, but for the blessing of showing Christ and the Lord glory. Do you love the law? Do you love the law? It is to ask a Christian truly, do you love Christ's finish? redemption. For the law condemns those outside of Christ. But brothers and sisters, let us rejoice that we are in Christ and can follow this law of blessedness to the best of our ability, not that we will ever be condemned by it, but that we will be blessed by it and shown the great grace that we have in Christ. So let us go to our great God, our Redeemer, in prayer. O Lord, God, Yahweh, our God, our Redeemer, we come before you, not even as men, but as worms before you. For, Lord, we have broken your commandments at every part, not even simply at one, and so therefore the others, but upon every single one, truly, truly, and in every thought and intention of our minds. Lord, the law is over us, Were it not for Christ, were we not hidden in Christ, it is over us as condemnation and curse. But Lord, we thank you that because of the work of Christ, we have faith and can have faith in Christ, our Redeemer. As you redeemed Israel and therefore called them to the law, we thank you that you have redeemed us in Christ and therefore called us to a law of great liberty. May we love the law and follow after it and find great things in your law and say with the people of old that in your law and the law itself is better and finer than gold, even much fine gold. Thank you, Lord, that you have brought us to so many blessings, not only Christ, but in this entire life of ours that we might follow after you. We also pray, Lord, that this law would reveal to us just how horrible our sin is. And Lord, in that horror, we would be looking up to Christ, our Redeemer, as you have taught us throughout your whole word and the history of redemption to look to him.
pray all these things in his matchless name. Amen.